from Genesis chapter 17. This is in connection with the topic for this afternoon, which is on the sacraments of the church. And before we look at the New Testament sacraments, it's helpful to turn and see one of the Old Testament sacraments. And we see that in Genesis chapter 17. Genesis 17, and we'll read verses 1 through 14. Genesis 17, verse 1. When Abram was ninety-nine years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram, Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your, in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant." So far from Genesis 17, let's turn now to the New Testament as well, and we'll read just a few verses from two parts of Matthew. First, Matthew 26, Matthew 26, we'll read verses 17 through 29. This is the institution of the Lord's Supper, one of the two sacraments of the New Testament. Matthew twenty six seventeen. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. 
And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So far from Matthew 26, let's also turn just a page or two forward to Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16, and we'll read through verse 20. This is the other New Testament sacrament. Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So far, the word of God. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 85, stanza 3. Every Lord's Day in the afternoon service, we open the Heidelberg Catechism as a summary of the Christian faith, and we take that as our starting point to explore the fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith. This afternoon, we find ourselves in Lord's Day 25. That's on page 539 of your books of praise. This is concerning the sacraments. Question 65 begins, Since then faith alone makes us share in Christ and all his benefits, where does this faith come from? From the Holy Spirit who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. What are the sacraments? The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by their use he might the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. And this is the promise, that God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Are both the word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. 
How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the new covenant? Two, holy baptism and the holy supper. So far from the Heidelberg Catechism. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, today and for the next several weeks, the Catechism will have us looking at the meaning and the importance of the sacraments of the Christian faith. Now I want to acknowledge then at the outset that there are a number of different reactions uh, that you will find in the church to the sacraments and to the idea of spending several weeks studying the sacraments. New Christians will find the sacraments strange and mysterious. For, for many new Christians, the sacraments are, are just one of those things about the Christian faith that they, they don't quite understand and they're not really sure why we have them or what their meaning is. Even the word sacrament is, is a strange and mysterious and, and foreign word to, to life outside of the church. It's not the sort of word that would come up in your discussions and with your colleagues at work. Uh, some new Christians are awed by the sacraments, and sometimes even almost afraid to take part in the sacraments because they're not sure if, if, if the sacraments have some kind of special power uh, or consequence by partaking or not partaking. Among older Christians, there are maybe two extremes that, that you could point out. On the one end, there, there are some of a high church liturgy, that is to say a liturgy that's, that's very focused on, on right dress and right uh, action, right performance, right ritual. There are some of a high church liturgy who hold the sacraments in very, very high esteem and sometimes almost to a superstitious degree. Many church traditions talk about the sacraments as, as the mysteries of the Christian church. And, and the Roman Catholic Church, for their part, has an elaborate system of rituals surrounding the sacraments, complete with all the, the bells and the candles and the Latin words spoken by priests. And, and there's this sense of power and mystery surrounding the sacraments and almost the sense that they carry this power in and of themselves. And even among Reformed churches, there are many who think of the sacraments in a similar way. Even without all of the bells and the candles, they still treat the sacraments as carrying this mysterious power and sometimes even treating them as, as dangerous if we're not careful. That's the one extreme on the opposite extreme, many Christians think very little of the sacraments and, and feel like we could just get, get by just as well without them. They don't find that the sacraments have any significant role in their faith or life, and, and they may per, perhaps even consider the sacraments somewhat overrated. Maybe there are some in this congregation who are in that camp. Uh, I've heard it before, maybe you've heard it as well, that someone says, I, I just don't get the sacraments. They don't, they don't do anything for me. I don't feel any different, and they don't make any difference in my life. I believe there, there would almost certainly be some in our church in that camp as well. The goal for the next several weeks, then, is to grow in our appreciation for the meaning and the significance, the, the importance of the sacraments. And we want to do that for our good, 
we want to do that so that we can participate in the sacraments more fully and benefit from them in our life and faith more more richly. We want to use them the way that Christ intended them when he instituted them and at the same time avoid some of the wrong ways of thinking about the sacraments that many of us fall into. This afternoon, we're just going to look at the concept of sacraments in general. We want to look at Scripture and, and consider and think through what sacraments are meant to be and why we have them at all in the Christian church. So that's our goal for this afternoon. The two sacraments that we have in the church are the, our baptism and the Lord's Supper. In other Christian traditions, there, there may be more. Lutherans have three because they include uh, confession of sin and penance as, as a sacrament. Roman Catholics have seven sacraments because they include things like confirmation, which is sort of like our public profession of faith, uh, also penance, also anointing of the sick, also holy orders, uh, in other words, becoming a monk or a nun is considered a sacrament, and also marriage uh, they consider to be a sacrament. Now, in, in one sense, Roman Catholics are, are correct uh, that, that those things are special, sacred things that happen in the church. For example, marriage happens in the context of, of the Christian church. Even if it's outside of the building, it's still done in a Christian manner. And it's certainly a sacred ritual. Uh, and there are, there are rituals around marriage that are sacred and, and meaningful. And you might even include some of these other, other uh, sacraments of the Roman church as, as sacred things as well like anointing of the sick. It's not something that the church very often does, or the Reformed Church very often does. But, but it is a biblical practice. James 5 says, If anyone is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That, too, would be a sacred ritual that the church performs. And it's still practiced in many Reformed churches, though not all. So, so if your definition of, of sacrament then is simply a sacred ritual that happens within the church, you could talk about more than just two sacraments. The reason we don't is because there's still a difference between all of these sacred things that happen in the church and what we want to call sacraments of the church. Uh, when we say that there are, only t- there are only two, Lord's Supper and Baptism, We're not saying that those are the only two sacred and meaningful rituals that ever happen within the church, but we're saying that those two are uniquely commanded by Christ, that's one thing, meant for all Christians in the entire church, that's another, and meant as pictures and promises of our union with Christ and a seal, then, of the gospel. These are things that the church regularly does to which Christ attaches the promises of the gospel. So to contrast that with with some of the other sacred rituals, marriage, for example, is a picture of Christ and the church. That's certainly true. But marriage is not meant for every single Christian. And Christ doesn't make your marriage a seal of the promises of the gospel. Uh, Individual... Excuse me, uh, 
in, yeah, individual marriages may point to the gospel, but it's not something that Christ has ordained for every Christian as, as his way of visibly communicating the promises of the gospel to them. Uh, Christ used different sacraments for that. You might also think of something like confession and, and penance. Uh, depending on how you understand those, those uh, rituals, if you want to call them, they are also sacred things, no doubt, that happen within the church. Every week we read the law, we confess our sins in song and then in prayer, and then we're comforted by the promise of the gospel. Uh, individual Christians also confess their sins to God and, and express penitence uh, through prayer and, and sometimes fasting, and, and those are all good and sacred things. But they're different in character than baptism and the Lord's Supper because they're not visible signs and seals. They, they are an aspect of the preaching of the gospel itself. They, they are audible, and, and sacraments are understood to be visible signs and seals. Uh, likewise, with, with something like holy orders, we don't have monks or, or nuns because that's not a category that, that Scripture institutes, but we do have the offices of minister and elder and deacon, and we recognize those are sacred callings, and we even have special sacred rituals when, when those happen, like the laying on of hands. But those also are not meant for every Christian, and they're not meant as a seal of these, these men's salvation and fellowship with Christ. It's a seal of their office. So it's not a sacrament as such. Christ didn't institute that as a, a special ritual to communicate the promise of the gospel for all Christians. And finally, just to mention, in the case of the anointing with oil, uh, the way that the Apostle James described it, it was a ritual that pointed to the Spirit's power to bring healing. It wasn't a guarantee of, of physical healing. Um, and it's true that not many Reformed churches still use oil. Some do. Uh, but many have ceased to do that because it arouses a, a sort of superstitious aura about it. Uh, people think that the oil communicates some special power. And if, if that's how people think, then it's unhelpful to do. Um, but we certainly do still pray over the sick. And that, too, is a sacred thing. And it's a beautiful thing that, that the church must keep up. Roman Catholics have taken that as, as a sacrament of salvation, and they ended up grouping it together with, with penance uh, to form what they call last rites, so that now when someone dies as a Roman Catholic, uh, before they pass away, they have to have these last rites, or there may be consequences in purgatory for not having them. None of that is taught in Scripture, and so we don't treat this as a sacrament for every Christian. We do this as something for the sick when, when they desire it. So behind this question of, of the number of sacraments uh, that, that different Christians have answered differently, uh, there's also then the question of the meaning of sacraments, because Roman Catholics would call every sacred thing that happens within the church a sacrament. We would acknowledge that those things are indeed sacred, in fact, everything that happens within the church is sacred. But we also recognize that baptism and Lord's Supper being commanded by Christ and meant for all Christians to communicate the gospel, they have a special status as sacraments. So that's, that's why we insist that there are only two. 
So what then are the sacraments? If we want to nail down a definition, we can work well with the one that the catechism itself gives us. It's a very good definition. So the catechism says in, in answer 66, the sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals. We'll work through all four of those terms. And it says they were instituted by God so that, he might, so that by their use he might the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. So you see the purpose for sacraments right there in the definition. They're meant to declare and seal the promise of the gospel. Now, I know that this is familiar material to most of you, but it's worth reflecting on very briefly the the meaning of that definition and and those specific terms, especially the terms sign and seal. The sacraments are signs and seals, we confess. By saying that they're signs, the catechism is essentially saying that they are symbols or signs pictures of something. Signs always point to something. If you're driving down the road and you see a sign that has an arrow curving rightwards, uh, it's a a picture of what the road is about to do. So signs are not the reality themselves. They point to it. Uh, So the sacraments are signs. They, They point us to the reality of the gospel. As the catechism teaches, they are instituted by God so that by their use he might the more fully declare the promise of the gospel. That's ultimately what they're intended to do, to point to the gospel. The Catechism says they're also seals. Now, seals are, uh, the best uh, synonym for that is a guarantee. Seals are guarantees of a reality or a, a promise. In medieval times, kings would often have this wax seal so that when they sent a letter out, they could stamp it, and that would prove, guarantee, that this came from the king. You can see that uh, sacraments are meant as seals by the way that the Lord Jesus himself spoke of them, and that's why we read those two texts from, from Matthew. In, in Matthew 28, he commanded the disciples to go out make disciples of all nations, and then he added, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the baptism is their seal of belonging to Christ, and that's what it's meant for. That's why when the the church came into being in Acts 2, Peter preached his sermon, and 3,000 were baptized, and Peter had told the crowds, repent, and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. The repentance is the reality. The baptism is the seal of the forgiveness that flows from that. It isn't the forgiveness itself. It's the seal or the promise or assurance of that forgiveness. Uh, The same idea of a seal is is there in the Lord's Supper. Uh, In John 6, verse 51, the Lord Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven... If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The Lord's Supper is not just a picture of the reality of of our dwelling with Christ or Christ dwelling with us. It's not just a picture. It's a seal. It's an assurance because the Lord Jesus himself said, this is my body. Take and eat it. It's not meant to be just a picture of his body, but an assurance that those who take it and eat it do indeed belong to him. 
Now that claim is maybe what distinguishes the Reformed churches from many other um, contemporary or evangelical churches. This idea that the sacraments are also seals. And it's an idea that can get complicated very quickly. Because if you say that they're seals, people immediately want to know, well, what exactly do they guarantee? And how far does that guarantee go? Is being baptized automatically a guarantee that you are saved? Is partaking of the supper, does that automatically mean that you have fellowship with Christ? In other words, what exactly do these sacraments seal? What are they a guarantee of? And so some would argue that maybe it's better not to speak of them as seals, but just stick with signs. That's what uh, some of the, the early reformers did. The problem with that approach, though, is that it assumes that the sacraments, if you're going to call them seals, must therefore work by themselves. And that misses then the point that the Lord Jesus himself intended them for. Uh, The best illustration for this, it's one that I'm sure most of you have heard, uh, but it's very helpful to think of this analogy of, of a wedding ring. The sacraments can be compared to a wedding ring. A wedding ring is not just a sign of your belonging to your spouse. It's also a seal. It's an assurance of that. It's a, it's a picture of that union, and it's also a seal of that commitment. It, it's meant as an assurance. Now, if you say it's a seal, you could ask the same question. How far does that guarantee go? Uh, what exactly does it seal? But those would be the wrong questions to ask because then they start assuming that a ring just starts operating all by itself, and that's not the purpose of, of a wedding ring. It's possible to wear a wedding ring while being unfaithful. The ring doesn't guarantee that, that you won't ever be unfaithful, nor does the ring guarantee that the marriage will survive unfaithfulness. That isn't the point of a wedding ring, but it is still a seal. It's an assurance of your, your spouse's commitments. It's not a guarantee of a happily ever after, regardless of, of what you do with it, because what you do with it and how you use it makes all the difference. The same is true, then, of the sacraments. They're meant to give assurance. They are seals. Christ gave them for that purpose. But we shouldn't assume, therefore, that they just work all by themselves and that, therefore, by, by partaking in the sacraments, the promises are automatically, unfailingly true. It still requires faith. The illustration of a wedding ring is also helpful because it shows the middle way between the one extreme which considers the sacraments as mysterious and powerful in their own right and the other extreme which isn't sure why we even have them at all. Like a wedding ring, the sacraments are not mysterious and powerful in and of themselves. They're powerful in light of the promises which they point to. Uh, They're not meaningless either though, but just like a ring, they're meaningful because of the promises that accompany them. The same is, is, uh, that that is then true also of, of sacraments. Now it's good to recognize sacraments are not unique to the New Testament. Uh, We don't usually call the, the Old Testament ceremonies 
sacraments, but you could use uh, that, that terminology. It's a term that would fit. Uh, they were signs, so pictures, as well as seals, guarantees of God's grace, the same way that the sacraments are, are now. Uh, and the sacraments, indeed, that the Lord Jesus himself instituted were very obviously, very clearly based upon the sacraments of the Old uh, Covenant. Uh, Galatians makes the connection between circumcision and, and baptism. And the connection between the Lord's Supper and, and, and Passover are, are even more obvious. The Lord Jesus instituted the Supper on Passover, and he did it with the very language of Passover. This, uh, the phrase we use, the, the cup of blessing for which we give thanks, is a, is a phrase that's taken from the Passover celebration. Now, there are certainly differences between the Old Covenant sacraments and the New Testament sacraments. Uh, And there are reasons that we deliberately do not keep the sacraments of the Old Covenant. Uh, And and probably the greatest reason for that is that the old ones involved blood, the shedding of blood. And they were centered on the temple and the temple is no longer there, and the blood has already been shed, so it would be a denial of Christ to keep celebrating them, uh, those sacrifices the way uh, that they, they were set up. And so now, after the death of Christ for sin uh, on the cross, we, we recognize that blood has been spilled, and no more blood should ever be spilled as an assurance of the gospel. Our sins are paid for, we will not deny Christ by shedding more blood. So we don't keep the Old Testament sacraments anymore, and the New Testament authors certainly uh, taught us that. The apostles were very clear about that. But we can still learn something about the the concept of sacraments from the ones that Moses gave in the Old Testament. The institution of circumcision, which we read about in, in Genesis 17, it gives us some glimpse of the meaning and the purpose for sacraments. Again, just like a wedding ring, circumcision too was a sign that the Lord gave after making his promises. So it pointed back to those promises. And yet even though it was just a sign, and you could say not the main thing, it it was a picture of the reality, not the reality itself, yet God calls circumcision his covenant. He says, this is my covenant which you shall keep, every male among you shall be circumcised. That's the closeness that God intends the sacraments and the reality itself to to be kept together. Uh, And God took that sign very seriously. We read in, in Genesis 17 verse 14, God said, Any uncircumcised male who's not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. That's how seriously God takes these sacraments. The point is not that that God's grace is tied to the outward symbol as the only possible way to salvation. The point is that when someone rejects the symbol that God has given, God takes that as treating the covenant itself with contempt. When they're If if you reject the symbol, you are rejecting the thing to which it points. If a man walks into a bar and removes his wedding ring, that isn't just a harmless act. It's a very meaningful rejection of his commitment to his marriage. The same is true of the sacraments that God has given us. 
God instituted them as symbols of his covenant and takes their use very seriously. Having said all that then, let me address the, the tendency that I mentioned earlier, the tendency among many modern evangelical and reformed Christians to, to sort of downplay the significance of the sacraments and sometimes perhaps even to, to wish that they weren't there at all. There are different reasons for that, and some of them are, are certainly understandable. Sometimes Christians downplay the sacraments uh, because it's a reaction against the, the arguments and the fights and even the wars that have surrounded uh, the sacraments because of disagreements about their meaning or about how to celebrate them. Uh, is this, this history is, is sad, but it's true. Even in Reformed churches, there's there's a history of long disagreement and, and fighting over the meaning of the sacraments. And so many Christians today look at that history and they, they just don't want anything to do with the sacraments anymore because in their mind, all the sacraments do is stir up conflict. That's a wrong reaction, but certainly an understandable reaction. Uh, similarly, another group of Christians maybe want to downplay the sacraments because of this superstitious aura that often accompanies them and surrounds them. And that, too, is, is a problem. It's, it's good to react against that. Uh, there, there has been and, and still often is a superstitious treatment of the sacraments, even sometimes among Reformed people who ought to know better. And so sometimes people react against the sacraments because of that. They don't like the superstition that surrounds them. Sometimes also, and, and maybe this is a more problematic reaction, sometimes Christians want less to do with the sacraments because they have a wrong view of the body itself and, and of everything that we do with our bodies. Uh, they think of, of rituals as, as sort of a primitive kind of religion and, and maybe less spiritual than the things that should be happening in our hearts. And they think maybe we should be focusing on the spiritual realities and not worry about the physical rituals. That's a, also a common reaction, and I'll address that in more detail in a second. But finally, the, the last group, sometimes, and maybe this is the most common reason why Christians are uncomfortable with the sacraments, many Christians just feel like they don't get anything out of the sacraments. Maybe you've heard this from someone. Maybe you've said this yourself. I just don't get anything out of it, so I'm not sure why we have them. Well, if you're in that category, I would say that perhaps you're looking for something that the sacraments weren't intended to give. I mentioned before that the point of the sacraments is to seal, to, to show and to seal the promise of the gospel. Many Christians nevertheless expect something different, something greater, something special from the sacraments that they don't get from the gospel and that's a wrong expectation. The sacraments are only intended to point us to the gospel and reassure us of the gospel. Again, you can, you can think of Peter's words in, in Acts 2 where he says, Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. The, the repentance and the baptism are meant to go together. And if you're looking for something in the baptism 
that you don't get from the repentance, you won't find anything there because it's not meant to give anything except to appoint and assure you to, to that repentance. So the baptism in, in Peter's uh, command there, the baptism is the expression of that repentance. It's not something qualitatively different from it. Uh, and the same is true with the Lord's Supper. The Lord Jesus told his disciples, this is my body, do this in remembrance of me. The, the taking and the eating is an expression of that remembrance, uh, not something qualitatively different. That's why the Catechism asks uh, the, the second question, uh, third question, I guess, in our Lord's Day, uh, w- that is, are, are both the Word and the sacraments intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? And it says, yes, that's exactly what they're intended to do. They're not intended to give something beyond the promise of the gospel. Again, the, the illustration of a wedding ring is, is very helpful here. It would be wrong, wrong-headed to, to look for something qualitatively different uh, from the wedding ring than what you heard from your husband or wife in their marriage vows. The wedding ring isn't intended to be something more than that or beyond that, but a constant reminder of that and assurance of that. It would be strange for someone to say, I just don't get anything out of, out of this whole ring thing. Uh, it isn't meant to give you anything above and beyond what you were given in your marriage vows and, and the vows that you yourself made. It's meant to point you to them and assure you of them. So if, you, if you've wondered whether you're maybe missing out, missing something special in the sacrament, or felt like you haven't been getting anything out of them, I would say maybe it's because you're expecting something from them that they weren't intended to give. Now, as I mentioned, there are also some Christians, going back to that category, that, that want to downplay the sacraments because they have a, a sort of disregard for the body and everything that we do with the body, and, and they sort of favor more spiritual realities. If that's where you are at, or if that's your, your reason for, for downplaying the sacraments, it's good to recognize that, first of all, that's a false dichotomy. Uh, It's true that the Bible often speaks negatively about the flesh, but as we saw this morning also, that's because it's referring to the desires of the fallen flesh, not because the body is of any less worth than than the soul. And, And so it's not meant to downplay what we do with our bodies. Scripture doesn't put up that dichotomy between body and soul. Both, our worship with both is important to God. So, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20, You were bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your bodies. Uh, Or in Romans 12, I read the verse this morning also, he says, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. In other words, we express our spiritual worship of God with the bodies that God has given us. The Lord Jesus taught along the same lines. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what we say with our mouths is a reflection of what exists in our hearts. So the things that we do with our bodies, they do matter. Uh, Just to to give a sort of a silly example, no mother would ever say, well, I love my baby from my heart, and and it's a spiritual love, and so I don't kiss my baby on the head because that's just a bodily thing, and that would make my love less spiritual. 
No mother would ever think that way. Our, the things we do with our bodies express what lives in our hearts. The same is true, then, of the sacraments. That if we're commanded, for example, as Peter does, to repent and be baptized, that's referring, of course, to an adult baptism, that coming forward to be baptized is an expression of that repentance. The sacraments, then, can be opportunities for us to visibly express with our bodies and with our mouths to, to visibly express what exists in our hearts, the faith that's, in, that's within us. Uh, so what the sacraments do then is they make your faith visible. When you come to the table and you take the bread and wine, uh, you do that, of course, in faith, uh, meaning it needs to be done in, in a genuine spirit of, uh, of sorrow for sins and desire to be counted with Christ. But that very act, when it's done in faith, is how you receive him. You do so with your body. It's possible, of course, to, to receive Christ without ever once having gone to, to the Lord's Supper. But Christ gave us the Lord's Supper so that we'd have a, a visible, tangible way of coming to him and receiving him and receiving all the assurance of the gospel with that. What we do with our bodies in the sacrament is an expression of God's promise to us and our response of faith. So... In, in conclusion, then, we shouldn't treat the sacraments as sort of this awkward addendum to, to Christianity that we're not sure exactly what they do and they just have this mysterious power around them. Instead, we should see them the way that they were instituted, the way they were meant to be, as a gracious opportunity from God to, to visibly receive and respond to the gospel. Because we are creatures with bodies and souls knit together into one single being. And so whatever we do with our souls, we, we need the opportunity to do also then with our bodies. That's just the way that, that we have been made. And we should receive the sacraments in that way. So the goal then for the next several weeks is to look at each of the two sacraments in detail. We'll spend two weeks on, on each of them. And we'll seek to understand their their meaning, and the significance that the Lord Jesus intended them to have so that we can better understand and, and appreciate uh, the pictures and the seals that God has given us. The goal is, is not that as we study the sacraments we would lose sight of the gospel, but quite the opposite, that as we look at the sacraments we would grow in our assurance of the gospel and in our vision of the gospel in our lives and, and learning to use the symbols that God has given us to grow in that vision and that confidence. So that's our hope, that's our goal. May God bless it in the next coming weeks. Amen.